Hi, you're listening to Many Lamps in the Room, a podcast by and for New City Church in Vienna, Virginia. Later on, we will continue our discussion of infant baptism, but we want to start with a brief discussion on practical ways you can broach this week's Westminster Shorter Catechism question with your family. So dip in for that, and if you have time, you can stick around for our longer discussion in a little bit. Question 106. For what do we pray in the sixth request? In the sixth request, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. So Mark, I'm going to toss this to you. How do you think we might advise parents in dealing with this question? I think a very practical tip for parents is figuring out what are those things like temptations, particular sins that you have difficulty with, idols, mm. and being able to identify them in you, in your life, mm. but also try to identify those that are in your children's lives. Because mm. I think most people would think they understand themselves, they know themselves, mm. but when you start to actually dig into idols and when you start to dig into your own sins, you'll find that you, you don't really know what they are. You kind of know the surface, and I think it's some of the symptoms of the sins, you mm. might say. Uh, but they don't, a lot of times, you don't actually know the root mm. that you're really struggling with. Um, and likewise, the same thing with your children. That will also help you see them mm. differently, but good, because mm. you have to realize yes, they are your children, and they are precious. They seem fragile and they seem innocent and, and like Little angels, angels. <laughs> yes at times but then when you realize that they too are sinners mm. and they too need god's grace and the blood of christ you realize they are in the same boat as you mm-hmm. so when they sin and oftentimes they might have the same idols as you. Right, exactly the same. <laughs> the only difference is you're a little bit more sophisticated at how you go about it, and they're a little more blunt. Mm. Um, and so, again, like identifying those things and then being able to guard yourself against any of those particular sins. And then also with your children, you don't want to agitate them and poke them and prod them mm. in those sins and tempt them too. So Mm. recognizing that will help you be able to guard their own hearts because they may not be able to do that Mm. depending on how old they are. But I think that's a real tool in order for the family as a whole to be able to be guarded and then relying also on God that he would again strengthen you, provide you wisdom, and then also the means to um, persevere through temptations. You are now linking this child's life, your life, with the church. You are intertwining these things mm. so that no longer is it just your family and this, or this, just this infant, but now you have included them into this very, very, very large extended family. 
For two weeks now, we've discussed infant baptism and the biblical basis for it, the theological underpinnings of it. And this will be sort of our last concentrated discussion, Mm. just you and I on infant baptism. We might revisit this topic later on, especially if people come in with some comments or questions and want us to do a little bit of follow-up and clean up some some breadcrumbs. That's fine. We would love to do that. But for now, we were thinking that maybe we could finish with a few practical concerns when it comes to infant baptism. Mark, how would you advise parents in terms of the practical benefits of infant baptism. Hmm. One thing that many people have questions about is, you know, there's this theological reasoning and, you know, you're giving these biblical basis that it happened, but is it totally necessary mm-hmm. for me to do, mm-hmm. right? Would it be biggest sin for me if I didn't do it? Is there <laughs> anything really beneficial to doing it? And the answer is yes. Again, when we kind of Talking about infant baptism, again, we have to understand it kind of couched in um, our understanding of covenants. Hmm. Um, and again, like if if you're if this is your first time kind of tuning in, we, I won't jump into all of what covenants are, but it's this understanding that God makes a covenant with us and it's this binding contract of sorts, but it's a commitment that hmm. he makes hmm. with us and that we also make with him. But it's a one-sided thing god makes it we don't have a say Mm -hmm. we just we participate but baptism is again a a sign and seal of that covenant now as we look at the actual benefits we can look at it in, in regards to two parties that benefit there are the parents that benefit and then there are the children themselves that benefit ah but also the church itself the church also benefits. Yes. Okay. So we can say three parties. <laughs> and you might think, well, infant baptism is about the infant. So why is it that the parents or the church is benefiting from something that should be beneficial only to this child? Mm-hmm. And again, this kind of comes back to our conversation that we had about baptism being involved with community. Mm-hmm. This idea that God brings to himself a people, and it's not just individualistic. And then, you know, we talked about, I think, the challenges that we have in the Western world where we tend to be very individualistic and difficult to see ourselves part of groups and and emphasizing communities and families. But I think that's changing. I think there's more and more evidence to the contrary Mm. in that we're seeing that people are recognizing even academics are recognizing that the environment around you has a huge effect on who you are, your behavior, how Mm. you perceive yourself, how you end up uh, identifying and navigating through the world. And this covenantal approach is a recognition that no man is an island, that people don't just do their faith journey alone, but it's done within a context, yeah, historical context, geographic context, cultural context. Mm. And, and again, if we look at this in the instance of, yes, the child is being baptized. So the one who is receiving this sign and seal will benefit. Mm. But it's this idea, like you said, there's 
there is this community context that this child is coming into. So when this child is baptized, he's being baptized into a covenant community of people. Mm -hmm. It's not just this individual act. And because of that, yes, the child benefits, but everyone around benefits too. Maybe not in the same exact way, but they benefit. And so as we kind of think about it, how is it that parents are benefiting from their children being baptized? Well, for one thing, they're tied down with this proclamation to a commitment, right. to some sort of accountability. They're taking a vow, mm -hmm. and they're holding themselves accountable to that vow to raise, nurture this child to the glory of God, yeah. into faith, to the best of their stewardship. They're not going to be able to make the ultimate say as to what happens to that child, but they are committing themselves to do the best they can and to be as faithful as they can yeah. to that project. And I think it's also this understanding of when you're talking about covenants again, there are covenant stipulations mm -hmm. that God gives us that if we obey and if we listen, there are a ton of blessings that come with being a part of this covenant. And when we look at this idea of of baptism, you know, the, the book of church order says that not just that we ought to, but we should be doing it. And delaying baptism, it actually says, is bad. Mm. You shouldn't be delaying baptism. And some would say delaying baptism is a sin. Mm. Um, that's how strongly they believe that you should be baptizing your children. But when you are obedient to what you're called to do, and if we are called as parents to steward these precious gifts that have been given to us for a season as Christians, if we want to raise them in faith and we want them to receive those blessings, then we need to be obedient to our call as stewards and welcome these children into this covenant community. And just by the act of obedience, parents receive blessings for listening and obeying the Lord. That's an important point that you make. If you are a parent where you're not entirely convinced mm -hmm. about the biblical basis of baptism, then by all means, it should be something that should be investigated more. Right. You should be encouraged to think more about, reflect more about, read more about but if you have come to a point where you are reasonably convinced mm. as to the confessional conclusions for the rightness of infant baptism, at that point, it becomes a more of a question of obedience, of falling fully in line with um, what the Bible says. If you actually buy into, okay, that... Th all of this makes sense. Now you have a decision ahead of you as to whether I'm going to actually act on this or not. Right. Whether you're going to actually fully embrace the confessional position that our church has mm. or reject it for what reason. Right. You know? Yeah. And it's thinking through your faith, not saying people don't do it seriously, but I think oftentimes 
many things are overlooked or taken for granted mm. because they're just things that you do. If you're part of a church, you kind of do things. But I think it's especially true for those that might be coming into the Reformed tradition from another tradition. And it's um, very different. To them, it's something to really think through mm-hmm. because it's so different. Mm-hmm. And, they've, and because it's so foreign to what they knew before. Mm-hmm. And so they pause more and think about it. And that's perfectly understandable. Right. Even admirable. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to jump into something that you don't understand. Yeah. And you're not entirely convinced about. Mm-hmm. What I think a lot of parents don't understand is, again, kind of going back to this idea, yes, it is this child who is being baptized, but in doing it, you are now linking this child's life, your life, with the church. Mm. You are intertwining these things mm. so that no longer is it just your family and this, or this, just this infant, mm. but now you have included them into this very, very, very large extended family. Mm. It's nice when you have relatives around, mm-hmm. whether it's you know your own parents or maybe it's your siblings or someone, because when you have an infant and you need a break, it's nice to have someone around that could watch the kids or you know that there's some people that care for your child mm-hmm. and has their best interests at heart too it's encouraging for the parents and it strengthens them in that same way when you have this body of believers that now come around you and this child as well they are such a great support for you and so again that is a very real tangible blessing for a parent is that you are not doing this alone but you have all these other covenant committed members who are looking out not for your own best interest, but also for your child's best interest. And they are also called uh, to support you. And so it's this idea that we are all bound to each other. There is a commitment that uh, you're making to this child, so it's beneficial to that child. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because of these commitments, you also have... Uh, the church family that's committing, so you receive benefits, but also you see the other side of the covenant that God, through this covenant, again, the the baptism itself is a seal of his promises and commitment to you. Mm. So you receive, again, the blessings of being assured Mm. that God is for your child um, and God is for you. And all the blessings, all of the things that come with the covenant are now your child's. Well, that's so profound because on the one hand, it's a Lion King moment. It's right. Hmm. It's when you lift Simba up, right? <laughs> and you are basically announcing this child is part of our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. This child is part of this world that we inhabit and is a special part of it. And we're all going to be looking out for this child. We're all going to be anticipating what's going to come of this child. Hmm. But even more than that, as you said, it's about God overseeing this this ceremony and blessing it hmm. and enacting his own assurances and promises into it. That it is a celebration not just of this child but it is a celebration of who God is Mm -hmm. 
and what God will do um, as part of his covenant blessings. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that actually should encourage you and bless you the most, Mm -hmm. that it is not actually up to you. Mm -hmm. People who are fallible, people who are weak and tempted by sins, um, you know, we have so many fears as parents that we are going to mess up our children. Mm. We're going to say something. We're going to do something. We're going to raise, you know, raise them up in some way that will um, damage them irreparably. But when we look to God and know that he is a heavenly father who loves this child Mm. far more than I am ever capable of. That's right. It gives me an assurance that our child is in good hands. Mm. And so that's, again, should be an encouragement, should be an assurance for all parents who are baptizing their children into this wonderful covenant relationship. Mm. Uh, As we said a number of times so far, having this ceremony, having this baptism does not mean that the child is automatically saved or will necessarily 100% guaranteed come to faith is part of the elect. Right. And yet, do you think there are some advantages in terms of that journey, that coming to faith, that having um, a baptism like this could present? Absolutely. And again, a lot of it is in context to what the baptism represents, Mm. right? It is a sign and seal of God's promises, of his covenant with us. And therefore, a lot of the things that we do as far as commitments to one another, it ends up benefiting this child. Um, And so one understanding is when you have baptized this child, parents have to make vows that they will raise this child in the Christian faith. And therefore, this child will benefit from parents who are committed to this end. In some sense, it's it's like by making your intention and purpose clear. Right. That helps focus and set the agenda. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like if you're making a contract... Um, you know, you want the other party to put it down in words mm-hmm. so that if there is an instance in which they need to refer back to it, they mm-hmm. can. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of one what of What was our moments. mission statement again, right? Yeah. yeah. And so in that same way for us, it's this child can look back and say, you parents, you church mm. are covenanted to me mm. and you've made a vow to commit to this thing of raising me up in faith. There is this very real obligation that we have and children can benefit from that. Mm. And again, it's, but having parents that are like that and having a a church community that's like that also means this child will be raised um, being able to hear the word of God, which is the greatest blessing. 
And so you know that they will be in an environment, in a community, where they will constantly be hearing God's word, which is the greatest privilege and blessing that you could possibly have. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the other things are maybe more indirect things, but it's just, be, again, being part of that community, being a part of this family, you know that there are certain things that, that will be done. I think it's not to say those who have been baptized, you know, through believer's baptism or believe in believer's baptism, that they don't have a sense of a greater community that they go into. Sure. But I think the emphasis is a little bit different. Like when someone is baptized, it is more about them. Right. And they focus on them and, and they will be congratulated. And mm. yeah, they might say like, oh, like, well, welcome to the club now that, you you know, you are a believer. Yeah. But there is something, like you said, about infant baptism where the individual being baptized in many times is unaware of what's happening. But then the parents rejoice and the, the church rejoices, mm. believing in the promise that God has for this child. And I think that's very beautiful that it's we get lost in ourselves a lot. And mm. in this one instance, it's as a member, as you watch this child being baptized, you can think about this child. You can think about the parents, but simultaneously you think about your own baptism mm. and how you have been welcomed into this family and how you have received the grace of God. And so in that way, you see how it affects more than just one person. Yeah. And it's kind of the idea that there is an individual it's important, but there's also this community that's important mm. and it's not separating the two, but bring them together and recognizing that it is important for that individual, but also for this mm. gathering of people too. Yeah. And they're able to ex experience it every single time mm. you see a baptism. And that's one thing that you're called to do as well. I think the larger catechism talks about that, that every time an infant is baptized you should reflect on your own baptism as well yeah and then you can celebrate this child's baptism baptism all the more because of that yeah and then your own faith is deepened um, and you are encouraged and you are enriched because of that amen well mark let me tell you i am feeling the fall coming on <laughs> and the Mom. weather, the autumn, not the fall of man. <laughs> That's right. Autumn. <laughs> I feel autumn coming on. And I welcome it. Mm. I prefer the fall to the summer. Yes. Don't like winter, but those transitional seasons are my jam. Well, my tip for this week has to do with raking leaves. Ah. And it's basically, don't do it. Oh, not where I thought I you am, were going. <laughs> I am a strong believer in letting the leaves lie on the ground. Ah. They provide good mulch. It's true. And they are actually, you before you, instead of mulching the leaves, if mm -hmm. you just leave them there on the ground, yeah. they, provide, they provide good cover for worms and mm. insects that are beneficial to the soil and stuff like that and i don't know all the science of that mm -hmm. but i've heard enough of it to be reasonably convinced of my laziness yes. is virtuous <laughs> <clears throat> so when i when i mow the lawn mm. 
I just go over the leaves and I don't worry about them at all. Mm. And I don't think you should feel guilty about that at all. <laughs> and that's what I encourage people to do. Just, you know, let your grass grow. Mm. Let the leaves lie. Let it lie fallow for the winter. Nice. And a small sabbatical. Exactly. <laughs> Take a break. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of, um, I read this article and it was talking about don't make your bed in the morning and the benefits. And, and the idea was <laughs> when you don't make your bed and you kind of leave the sheets or the blankets off, you allow sunlight to come mm. in and, you know, dust mites and, and things like that that would normally grow, they, they can't in sun. And so it, it prevents huh. them from proliferating. And so by not making your bed, it actually benefits really? you. I'm a little bit more skeptical of that. Yeah. And again, kind of like you're saying, it kind of promotes the laziness. So that's what I told my wife. I am only trying to protect us against the dust mites. Did Avery buy that? No. <laughs> I don't think Dana would buy it either. <laughs> well, um, my tip for this week, um, I think this was, this is a, a simple one. Laugh with your family. Aww. Laugh with your family. It's it's one of those things where it's a mystery. Why do humans laugh? There's other animals that make laughing sounds, but mm -hmm. they're not laughing. Why do humans laugh? Mm. You know, you don't have to teach a child to laugh. Like our baby girl, when she laughs, it probably makes us the most happy. Mm. And why? This child has no idea what's going on, and it's just nothing. We're not doing anything. Mm. We come close to her face, and she laughs. Mm. She finds it enjoyable. But then when we see her laugh, it brings us joy too. Mm. And it's just the strangest thing with laughter. And I heard this one tip, and it sounded quite crazy. But they said, when you're feeling down, just look in a mirror and laugh. And it'll make you feel better. Um, like a forced laugh? Yeah. An artificial laugh? Yeah. Still works, huh? And it still works. And it's kind of creepy. <laughs> like if you ever stare in the mirror for long enough, it's always creepy. But it does it does work. It does lighten the mood for some reason. Um, and, you know, even kids that are, you know, they're grumpy or they're upset. Like if you laugh or if you try to get them to laugh, they'll finally break. And it just... It relieves tension. And mm. I mean, there's always a science component too, right? Mm. Like it probably releases endorphins and a whole bunch of other hormones that make you feel good. Um, but it also is something that like helps kind of bind you with the people that you're with. And it's just life is so busy. Life has so many things that gets us down. There's so much negativity. There's bad news, bad politics, you know, like. Laughter. Bad drivers, <laughs> whatever it might be, that if you have just these little moments where you can just laugh together and mm. it's so enjoyable and I think it's so good for your soul mm. just to be able to do that. And so I encourage you out there who are listening, um, laugh with your family. And if you're driving in your car right now or you're by yourself, laugh and see if it changes your mood. Mm. Maybe not if you're around other people because they might think you're crazy, but give it a try and see <laughs> see if it is something that's good for your soul. 
Okay, so <laughs> let's put this discussion to bed for a little while. Uh, but by all means, uh, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, email them to Mark uh, at mark at newcityva.org. Uh, I'd also recommend actually going back to our infant baptism discussion that you check out um, John Huff and Josh Harstein's podcast, Catechized, uh, which you can find at catechized.org and or the RTS Washington Faculty Podcast. Just Google RTS Washington fa Faculty Podcast in order to find that page. And both of these um, podcasts have recently recorded episodes on pedo-baptism mm. that are excellent. So just do a little bit of hunting and you will find them and you'll get more information and more things to chew on and think about if this is something that intrigues you. The music for this podcast is by Stephen Price. If you, you can find more of his music under the moniker Alma Dogma at almadogma.bandcamp.com and thanks for listening wash those windows wash those windows <laughs> couple Sundays ago, you know, I preached on um, a terrible king, Manasseh. And then several weeks before that, I taught that lesson to the kids. Mm -hmm. And I was racking my brain thinking, <laughs> how do I come up with a craft about this story? You know, if you read this story Sheesh. in the book of Kings, it's not like it's a good story where you can actually make something. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> so I had I had no idea. I was I was at a loss for what to do. What I don't did even, you come up with? I don't even remember what I did. It might have just been uh, some random activity that had nothing to do with the 